Welcome to Cytovision. My name is Nigel Schweitzer and I'm joined by Francesca Lavoie. Hi, Frankie. Hi, Nigel. How are you? I'm pretty good. Today's guest is Julian Moore, Managing Director, Technology Corporate Finance at Houlihan Loki and also a close friend of Cypher. How are you, Julian? Morning, Nigel. Very, very good. Pleasure to have you with us. And lovely to be here with you guys. Hi, Julian. It's great to have you on Cypher Vision. Thank you for joining us. I think we've had a few advisors who've been on Cypher Vision before, but they've been specifically in IP. So having made that statement, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your career to date and a little bit about Houlihan Loki? Certainly. The job that I do is I'm a corporate finance advisor. So I advise people and companies and institutions in buying and selling companies and also in raising capital. You can think of me as somebody who advises founders, individuals, private equity firms, venture capital firms, and strategic companies on making M&A transaction, advising on how to position a business for sale, how to then generate the interest in that business, and then how to maximize value and get a great deal for my customers. Technology is a really big word in your job title. Is there a particular area that you focus on? Technology is a huge one, and we have a team of over 200 technology bankers. What we specialize in is that every single one of those bankers will have areas of expertise. We divide the world into various different areas. I work particularly within what I describe as being the B2B information space. And then within the B2B information space, I spend most of my time within everything that is legal and IP and research. And those are the main sectors that I cover off. Given your role as an advisor, when you're looking at different industry sectors, what are the things that are most exciting for investors? What we love as an advisor is sectors which are very, very active. So sectors which are generating huge amounts of inbound interest of investment, both from venture capital and from private equity, because that tends to generate deal volumes. We need a sector that is sufficiently large to attract those investors. And we also need a sector that's sufficiently dynamic. And what I particularly love is sectors where there is a challenge within the sector caused by historical unstructured data and where that data can effectively then be now using today's AI machine learning in order to provide value for customers. And those sectors are all undergoing major, major change. For instance, you could be taking a sector which I don't work on, which is the transportation sector, looking at documents of lading, or you could be looking at the academic research sector and trying to understand the trends within academic research data, or you could be taking a sector that Cypher is active in, which is the patent sector, producing strategic patent intelligence. When you're looking at sectors and they're undergoing big structural changes and that's seen as an opportunity, is that the case across the world? Are you seeing differences by region, by how old a sector is? I focus on sectors which are global sectors and where the problems are global problems because that creates a far more significant market opportunity for us from a banking perspective. Just to give you a few examples, if we take, for instance, the anti-counterfeiting market, now clearly counterfeits have existed for millennia. But counterfeits have really successfully taken off with the advent of e-commerce and marketplaces. And that really then creates a whole new industry in the anti-counterfeiting space. So we advised a business called IncoPro on raising capital back in 2018. What they were able to do was very clever. They were able to go inside marketplaces like Snapchat and Facebook and Amazon and identify counterfeit goods using image recognition technology. They were then able to map and trace the bad operators effectively 
by being able to connect websites with email addresses with mobile phones. Now, that's a business that couldn't have existed 10 years ago. It then started to exist with humans doing work, doing various Google searches and trawling manually through marketplaces. And then they've then invented the AI software to automate those processes. So that's probably a great example of a business that we love. Thinking about the opportunities that are out there and different stages of business growth, could you talk a little bit about the different types of funding that potentially are out there and how that might change depending on the stage of an organization? If we just start at the beginning, we start with those sort of initial bright sparks of conversation that tend to happen sort of on a beach or in a pub and people suddenly decide that they're going to give everything that they've been doing and start a new company from scratch, getting together with friends, people who are like-minded but with different skill sets. That's very often how businesses start. It's just a great idea that then needs to be properly germinated. The initial funding for those businesses tends to come from friends and family. That's how things get started, $10,000 here, $10,000 there, building up to angel investors who will then be investing hundreds of thousands of dollars. Then companies tend to go through venture capital round or rounds, and venture capitals will come in and invest millions of dollars. That then moves forward as companies then mature and become more cash flow generative. They then start to attract interest from private equity. Private equity would then be investing everything from tens to hundreds to billions of dollars, then clearly businesses can eventually be looking at the public markets and at IPOs. And is there generally a sort of a timescale where you might get uh, venture capital funding or PE funding? And the answer is it varies wildly from business to business and sector to sector. Typically speaking, what we do see is that B2C businesses, which are very heavily marketing driven, either They can be a bit like fireworks in that they either succeed very, very quickly and they fly or they fizzle out. B2B businesses tend to be more of a longer grind because you've got, typically speaking, larger amounts of money at play. They're typically selling at a high price point. The sales cycles are hence longer because corporations take time before they actually invest tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in a product. So B2B businesses do tend to take longer to get going. But once they get going, because of the subscription-driven nature of the business model, they tend to be very, very robust. I'm keen to talk about some of the current trends that we're seeing in the IP analytics space. Nigel, I know we think IP analytics is exciting. Could you talk a little bit about it from our perspective? Well, I think if anyone wants to go back to episode one, series one, you get Steve and me talking about the road to evidence-based decision-making But as many of our listeners know, I was a lawyer for 25 years. And to Julian's point, the problems we're solving are problems that were simply not capable of being solved with anything other than humans. Now, that's crazy, right? That means you've got highly qualified humans spending huge amounts of time doing jobs which they didn't qualify for, like going into data rooms, reading documents manually. So when we look at, say, Cypher's due diligence use case, and we're reading a 1,000 patents in under half a second, we're talking about replacing a job that would have taken a team of four or five days to do. So our perspective is using machine learning, but not because machine learning is cleverer than humans, simply that it can do automated jobs at a speed that is impossible for a human ever to achieve. And Julian, from your perspective, what do you see as the opportunities in the ISP analytics space? Some would say it's a little bit niche. The IP software and services space as a whole is actually not niche at all. It's a 10 billion plus marketplace. It's a very, very big market and corporations are spending a huge amount of money on filing and maintaining patents. 
and protecting the IP that they have then invested. The R&D budgets behind them are even bigger than what they invest in the IP side as well. So it's not a niche marketplace at all. It's actually a very, very large key marketplace. Now, these trends are trends that we see across the IP lifecycle. You can see it from putting more and more technology behind workflows and IP management software systems. You can see the technology coming through in the translation of patents using more machine translation and translation memory in order to automate those processes. Now, you're never going to get away from humans completely within that area, but technology is driving it a lot further. So it's only logical that we would actually find a huge interest in strategic patent intelligence because what it is doing is unlocking a whole area of expertise at the press of a button that previously would have taken a team of people a couple of weeks and a significant amount of money to produce a report that would have been of any use to a corporation. We've talked a little bit about the drive for efficiency and looking at unstructured data and using AI and machine learning to actually make sense of that. Do you see huge opportunities for that within the IP space? Yeah, but I also don't think it's just about efficiency. I think it's also about the ability to do things that simply were impossible before. I mean, if we look at the creation of COVID vaccines and and the way that people have used tools in order to look at drug repurposing, for instance, and pharmacovigilance, all of those tools are pulling on huge sources of unstructured data in order to be able to do things that simply weren't possible before. So it's not just about saving money. It's also about really creating new value. Do you think IP is ahead of the curve or behind the curve in terms of adoption? That's a very interesting question. I think parts of the IP world have been heavily behind the curve and the legal sector in general has been generally behind the curve. The corporations are pushing the legal sector because they are the ones who actually are seeing the immediate benefits of being able to deploy technology, whereas law firms are perhaps a little bit constrained by the desire to be able to print the invoice for the hourly bill. But I think that is changing. And I think law firms are now starting to understand the value that technology brings to them as well. Nigel, it feels like this is a good opportunity for us to get a message out to the IP community. What would you say, given Julian's comments? It's a huge opportunity. We used to joke about the conference I attended where one of my former partners said to me, how do I live with myself? Which was trying to suggest I built a machine that was taking away the hourly rate model. But I'm not really doing that. Cypher's not doing that. We're providing the opportunity to swap perspiration for inspiration, to liberate those tasks which either were impossible, as Julian said, or time-consuming and tedious, and to replace that with the ability to extract increasing levels of insight. And the more insight you deliver as an advisor, the more insight you deliver as an internal IP professional, the more recognition you'll get and the, the better that will be for you and the better it will be for intellectual property as an asset. Julian, you mentioned the, the size of the IP analytics market and the, the growing nature of it. If we've got any small businesses out there and CEOs who are listening to us today, what would be your message to them in terms of if they're looking for funding? First of all, you've got to identify a problem that you're solving. You've got to identify a product that people are going to not only want to buy, but need to buy. And when they've bought it, they've got to keep on buying it. I think that's absolutely critical. So what is that use case? What is the problem that you are solving with the technology that you are building? That is the first point. I think once you've then identified that, it's about getting out into the marketplace and selling it and getting that growth driving the business forward. 
founders are continually struggling with having, frankly, enough capital behind them to deploy to be able to grow the business as fast as they wish to grow it. And investors are always looking for the evidence that make it worthwhile to make those investments. So I think what businesses need to be doing is providing evidence to investors to enable them to make investments. We've got some great structural changes happening in the IP analytics space, but taking the whole IP ecosystem wider, what can you see happening in the future? How is IP going to dominate business more? I think it's really, really exciting. We're in the very, very early stages, the foothills of really understanding how we can get into and use unstructured data. This really wasn't something that anyone could do 10 years ago, even five years ago. And this is a huge industrial revolution that's taking place. And I don't know what the developments will be over the next 10, 15, 20 years, but all I can tell you is they will be very, very exciting and they will be transformative. And Nigel, we talk a lot about communication using evidence-based decision to communicate outside the IP team. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that's an opportunity going forward? Specifically in relation to patents, it's recognized, it's celebrated that it's the largest library of scientific information in the world. It also happens to account for 85% of enterprise value, and the information has historically been locked within patent teams. Those three sentences are not good bedfellows. What needs to happen to patent information, and I think ML and tools like Cypher offer that opportunity, is to disseminate it widely across R&D, but also to the financial services sector, so that companies and investors can celebrate, can understand the intangible assets that are simply invisible on the balance sheet. Julian, do you find that more and more investors are, are interested in intangibles simply because they're not really on the balance sheet? They've always been interested in intangibles. I don't think that changes. I just think their ability to understand them is actually increasing. If you're looking at a business which is principally driven off intangible value, the question is then, well, what is that intangible value? Is it the brand? Is it the trademark? Is it the know-how of the business? That has always been key to value. The question has always been the ability to actually get in there and understand it. And from the outside in, that's been a massive, massive challenge. I think what is happening now is that we're starting to break down those barriers so you can actually look into businesses from the outside without having access to highly confidential information, which was previously how it always worked. Thanks, Julian. That was a great conversation. It's always left to me to ask our guests to try and sum up the whole conversation with a cipher vision, a key takeaway. My key takeaway for you would be that this is a really exciting time and we're in a really exciting place where the opportunities for growth are legion. And it's about the ability to use unstructured data to create new insights across not just patent departments, but also reaching up into R&D and reaching across into financial services. The growth that can be generated out of those areas is enormous, both for companies like Cypher, but also, frankly, for the operators within those industries. As CEO of Cypher, which uses machine learning to deliver automation and efficiency for patent owners, it's easy to think of yourself as special, as too niche to be exciting for VC investors. The good news comes from three directions. First, there are advisors such as Julian and his team at Hulahan Lopi that really understand the sector. Secondly, that automation to improve access to complex and unstructured data sets is mainstream and a well-recognized business model and very attractive to investors, especially when it harnesses advances in new approaches enabled by AI and machine learning. Thirdly, there have been a significant number of transactions in recent times in the intellectual property sector 
the vast majority of which have performed very well, which in turn encourages other investors to take a closer look. On a personal note, Julian, thank you for your strategic advice over the years. You represent the very best of advisors, nurturing relationships over very many years and helping CEOs build their businesses in a way that is attracted to the investment community. That's key to accessing the capital that so many companies need to deliver on their vision. Thank you, Julian, for the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into Cypher Vision podcast series. Please continue the conversation on social using hashtag CypherVision and share your thoughts about today's episodes on investing in IPs.